leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. One of the challenges to securing the participation of patients in clinical trials can be simple geography. Sanguine Biosciences is seeking to tear down that barrier to participation by using mobile technology to bring clinical trials to patients. The company recently partnered with Ver Biotechnology to complete a COVID-19 clinical study aimed at better understanding the biology of the disease by sending healthcare personnel to collect blood samples from patients at their homes. We spoke to Brian Neiman, co-founder and CEO of Sanguine, about its use of digital health technologies, how the company works, and its recent collaboration with Ver Biotechnology around COVID-19. Brian, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Danny. Appreciate you having me on the show. We're going to talk about sanguine biosciences, how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting clinical trials, and your efforts to help gather samples as from patients in their homes to support one COVID-19 related study. For people not familiar with sanguine, though, how do you describe what the company does? What's the problem it's trying to address? Yeah, so happy to share more about Sanguine. And uh, to give you a sense, I started the company about 10 years ago. And the problem that inspired me to start the company uh, is that I found that patients have had trouble uh, participating in research studies. And I found that researchers had problems identifying patient data, uh, of course, anonymized and uh, identifying patients to participate in medical research in various different forms. I looked into the issue and I found that uh, there was a decrease, decreased uh, level of transparency, a decreased level of convenience, uh, communication, and impact for the patients. And because of that, that decreased that increased timelines and it delayed uh, significant research uh, from uh, being performed. And so I started saying when with the idea that if we work directly with patients, that if we made it easier for them to participate, to provide transparency and communication throughout the process, that we would in fact accelerate research timelines. So what we have today, Sanguine is a platform where patients can come on board provide their data and participate easily from the comfort of their own home to accelerate research for their condition. In this scenario, uh, we have built 
Uh, of course, in the past, we've built over 30,000 patient community of over 30,000 individuals ranging across autoimmune conditions, lupus, Crohn's, colitis, sickle cell disease, what have you. And uh, now uh, we are now focused and putting 100% of our efforts behind identifying individuals who have recovered from COVID. And with that, we have also developed a platform of uh, home visits where patients can participate from the comfort of their own home have their blood drawn and delivered anonymously to researchers that are developing uh, drugs and treatments for COVID. So the best way to look at our company is that we have an engaged community of over 30,000 patients, as well as their uh, medical information, as well as a services platform where they can participate uh, from the comfort of their own home. How big a, a challenge does patient enrollment today from a point of view of having a successful clinical trial? So enrollment is certainly an issue, and it's an issue across different diseases. In this day and age, I think that uh, enrollment is going to be an issue, and uh, uh, in in this day and age of COVID, that enrollment is going to be an issue, but also retention, because patients can't leave their home unless it's for a uh, necessary or important medical treatment. And so uh, by allowing for blood draws to take place in the comfort of the patient's homes who are self-quarantined or self-isolated, we're enabling research to go on. And uh, that's how we're helping out in this in the COVID uh, pandemic is that we're working directly with individuals while they're at home we're sending nurses to the home to collect blood samples and delivering it directly to researchers to uh, create antibodies or identify antibodies that can act as a vaccine or uh, as a treatment. Before we speak specifically about what you're doing in the COVID-19 crisis, I want to get a broader sense of how Sanguine works. What's the trial match? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if I'm... uh, uh, if I'm an individual diagnosed with lupus, chances are that uh, I have uh, uh, followed or I've liked or I am participating or engaging with an entity, whether it's a Facebook page or a group or a discussion board. And uh, Sanguine advertises its uh, patient community uh, advantages on those mediums. Uh, individuals sign up by going to our website. They provide a questionnaire, uh, their health diagnosis, comorbidities, and other medications they're taking. Um, so once they once they sign up, we will call them. Uh, so our team of study coordinators will call each individual patient and uh, uh, discuss with them what the study is about after having reviewed their information. And then uh, if there's a uh, if there's a study that uh, they may be interested in, Sangwon will request the individual's medical records, and then we will review the medical records ourselves, and then uh, call the patient when there is a study that matches for them. And so trial match is really a, uh, a concierge research service for consumers as opposed to going to clinicaltrials.gov and getting lost. We actually 
uh, focus on uh, making it easier for them to uh, navigate the process as their concierge service that calls them anytime there's a project that may fit their condition in the inclusion exclusion criteria. So we take a lot of the legwork uh, out of searching for a trial um, that may be a fit for you. And what data on patients do you gather? Who controls that data? And how do you leverage it? Yeah. So uh, individuals provide us uh, with the, their physician's information, including their physician's address. We engage their physician um, in the normal way, email, phone, fax, and we retrieve medical records from either the site or the medical center uh, or a third-party provider that manages the medical record system. So we retrieve that, we bring it in-house, uh, review those records, and then uh, from there, we will match the, the patient up with the right study. But we also have uh, recently won a grant by the National Science Foundation to create a tool, which we're calling the Patient Search Tool, where researchers at uh, companies can come in, search for patients in their community, in a community of their choice. Say I'm a lupus researcher looking for uh, samples from patients uh, diagnosed with lupus or just lupus patients. Uh, I could search based on uh, comorbidity, drug treatment history, age, gender, ethnicity, and other different uh, data types. And once I identify the patient I want, then I can select them to enroll to the study. So the purpose of providing your data to us is that we will uh, enable an exchange to happen between the researchers uh, and the patients who are searching for individuals uh, through uh, our platform. And does, it, does a patient have to sign off on any individual research data, or are they giving you a blanket release to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, to participate in each study, they have to sign an informed consent form. Uh, but uh, in order to provide us with their data, um, they, uh, they just need to sign a medical record authorization form. How do you work with patient organizations? So patient advocacy groups. So we have over 50-plus uh, patient uh, – We ha I'm going to start over. We have – over 50-plus relationships with patient advocacy groups, such as the Sickle Cell Disease Foundation, Vasculitis Foundation, um, Rheumatoid Patient Foundation, and several others. Uh, they engage with us by helping promote uh, the word about our trial match uh, tools, as well as uh, sponsoring different uh, methods and modes of communication and patient advocacy to learn about research and how they can help contribute uh, to accelerating research for their condition. One of the issues that also acts as a, an impediment to recruiting and retaining patients can be the trial designs and the demands trial protocols make on patients. This can be particularly true in cases of, of rare disease therapies where patient populations may be geographically dispersed and, and traveling oh, sure. to trial sites can be onerous. What does Sanguin do to, to address those types of challenges? Yeah, that reminds me of a study we did uh, several years ago with Pfizer, um, where um, they were and they still are uh, studying um, and developing a drug for uh, patients diagnosed with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And what we did there was we set up a, a mobile phlebotomy force uh, uh, all across where those medical centers are. So. 
uh, in this particular study, in this clinical trial, which was a phase two for Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, the average patient is uh, pediatric, so uh, we're talking 10, 11, 12, you know, even earlier than that. And these individuals are having trouble walking, they're wheelchair-bound, and, the, and for the most part, we're working directly with their caregivers, which are their patients or grandparents, what, what have you. Now, once we engage those individuals, the likelihood that they're going to have to go to, uh, the likelihood that they're going to have to travel to the site is about, let's say about, uh, uh, 20 to 30 times throughout the course of a trial. Now, if we can cut that even 10%, that would decrease the burden on many families. And these trials have very tight windows to understand drug treatment and the effects on the blood and different biomarkers to determine specific endpoints for the trial. And so if they can make it to the site in time, these home visits are enabling uh, the patients to stay within window of the study, avoid a dropout, and ultimately increase retention. So it's pediatrics. We have a lot of experience as well as those uh, individuals that are wheelchair-bound or immobilized. The COVID-19 pandemic is disrupting all aspects of daily life. It's having direct impact on the ability of companies to recruit for and conduct clinical trials and for investigators to perform research. How disruptive has this been, and what are you hearing from trial sponsors and researchers? Yeah, for the trial sponsors and researchers, I'm hearing that they're concerned that their trials are really just going to halt because uh, because of the quarantine and self-isolation. It's not... Uh, it, it's not conducive to the current clinical trial methods, which are, hey, for even a simple blood draw, you have to go to the medical center. So we have been receiving calls and emails and uh, other forms of communication from uh, all of the larger sponsors, including all the large pharmaceutical companies, asking for help for continuation of their studies. And uh, mainly it's focused on decreasing burden and expectation for the patients having to come in. One of the things you're doing is, is working with Ver Biotechnology, a company focused on infectious disease that's turned its attention to COVID-19. What's that collaboration? What What's your role with that? Absolutely. Uh, so our role with uh, Ver is the same as it is with other companies, which is uh, patient engagement and ultimately uh, decreasing the burden of participation. So in that sense, we are uh, engaging them uh, online and we're engaging them over the phone. We're walking them through an online informed consent form. Once they've signed that, we'll schedule an appointment for a blood draw. So we're handling the logistics regarding supplies and materials and uh, and uh, the home visits and the blood draws, the shipment back to the researchers and the entire supply chain from there. So it's the patient engagement all the way to the end result, which is sample at home. And how is how would you say technology is more broadly changing the way clinical trials are conducted today? Yeah, so I think that uh, a big innovation just in the past year, ten years, that since I started the company, I thought that the biggest innovation was um, online informed consent. So I thought that that was quite speedy and that really engaged individuals. Um, enrolling patients online, so at least engaging them and, and uh, increasing number of, uh, uh, of potential participants, so increasing your pool. I, I also saw an increase in home visits 
And so the ability to schedule and maintain a large workforce using mobile applications, I mean, you see it today in Uber and Lyft and Postmates and, and different applications like that. Uh, those organizations have developed technology to manage their forces, and so we're using similar technologies internally. So I'd say that uh, social media, informed consent, uh, marketing technologies, as well as, well as logistics platforms, and uh, soon it's going to be medical informatics as the Apple Health Kit uh, allows for uh, downloading and sharing of individuals' medical records. That is going to be the next boon next boom to uh, increase the capacity for um, say other mobile applications or any like diagnostics to be done because your information is now available for share in the world. It's not just going to be locked up in your uh, epic system. How responsive do you find regulators, investigators, or drug developers to embrace this technology? Uh, I think that the pharmaceutical company has, the pharmaceutical industry and the FDA just in general has, um, uh, historically has been more risk averse and their entire, uh, mantra has been risk mitigation. And for, for good reason, right? I mean, if you look back, uh, back in the 70s when penicillin was being manufactured and it was, uh, somewhat of a wild, wild west, uh, to, since then, it's been much more conservative, and we've been uh, the the level of regulatory burden on the companies has increased, and rightfully so because these medications are potentially dangerous. Uh, we've seen over the past uh, almost decade now uh, that the number of approvals has increased uh, significantly, which is fantastic. I'm really happy about that. I think that. Uh, Scott Godley, Gottlieb over the past few years has done a fantastic job of uh, uh, increasing technology or oversight as it relates to uh, mobile applications, uh, medical informatics, and uh, kind of patient-led medicine. And so I think that that's been the trend over the past few years, uh, which is now turning the tide. Now, today, when you look at home visits in, in clinical trials, it's been looked at, uh, up until today, it's been looked at as a risk, right? Because in this scenario, sure, you're decreasing, you're increasing savings or decreasing costs because we don't have physicians or real estate or brick and mortar location involved because this is all mobile directly to homes. So that was looked at as, okay, sure, there's a, a financial savings or a financial benefit, but uh, we're not really sure from a regulatory or uh, medical standpoint what the opportunity is. Now, when the risk within the medical center or the brick-and-mortar locations has increased, now the uh, risk mitigation strategy is doing these home visits. So home visits and telemedicine in general has shifted from high risk to now it is the risk mitigation strategy that people look to. Well, do you see the COVID-19 outbreak accelerating not only the change in the use of this technology to bring the trial to the patient, as it were, but is this going to have a longer-term impact on the way we conduct clinical trials? Yes, I think so, because I think it's going to change perceptions. What you're talking about is a catalyst that gets them there. Unfortunately, we're in this position where we, you know, we can't have individuals coming and burdening or increasing the strain on medical centers because they're focused on treating active 
patients with COVID-19. So a simple blood draw doesn't make sense. It's just going to increase stress on the system. I think that now that we've seen how beneficial it can be, and uh, uh, unfortunately, as I said, this pandemic is the catalyst, but we're here to help, and uh, we will do everything we can. But I think uh, that home visits are here to stay. Brian Neiman, CEO and co-founder of Sanguine Biosciences. Brian, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.